Happy Sabbath, brothers and sisters. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to welcome you to another edition of the Power Hour. And I'm glad that you're here this morning to worship with us. And I believe that God has a word for you. There are times when I watch a game that my team has already won. Have you ever been right there that you're watching something, you already know the outcome of it? You know, as I'm watching my team play, when I know they've already won the game, when I see the other team winning or I see that the game gets tense, yeah, I feel it. I, I experience that. But at the end of the day, I know that my team won the game anyway. You know, as I'm watching the game, I'm watching the game from victory. Ah. You see, that experience is the experience that God has created for us through Jesus Christ. That we are to live not for victory. We are to live from victory. That's a total different ball game. And that's what I want to help somebody to understand for the next few weeks that we have together. This idea of how we can live from victory because I believe that it's going to totally revolutionize our lives. Our lives are going to be totally different when we uh, truly harness the power of living from victory. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to flip them with me to Revelation chapter 17 and verse 1 to 6. Revelation Chapter 17, verses 1 to 6. Here's what the Word of God says. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came to me and said, Come. That's an invitation right there. Come. I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk and he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and it had seven heads and ten horns the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was a name written, or was written a name of mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. Take note of verse 6. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints. That is where I milked the title for today's sermon, Drunk with Blood. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. Drunk with Blood. That is the topic we're going to go into this morning. So wherever you are, 
bow your heads with me as we pray. Mighty God, we pause to simply say thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for everything that you give us. Thank you for your love and your care. And at this moment, as we get into your word, please, Lord, reveal it to us and help us to understand it. In Jesus' mighty name, I humbly pray. Amen. Some animals consume blood for food. You have vampire bats that consume blood for food. You have mosquitoes that consume blood for food. Uh, you have lampreys that consume blood for food. It's not only animals that consume blood for food. You also have people that consume blood for food. For example, in Scandinavia, people eat blood pancakes. And blood pancakes are made from pig blood and reindeer blood. Indonesians like to eat sak sang which is a combination of pork and water buffalo blood. In Hong Kong, people eat blood tofu. I was asking myself, why do animals and people like to eat blood? I discovered that blood has healthy fats and it has proteins. And here's the kicker. Blood is easy to find. A mosquito doesn't have to do push-ups. A mosquito doesn't have to do uh, planks. A mosquito doesn't have to run marathons. A mosquito simply needs to order uh, blood from any human being who is sitting anywhere. With the advancement of technology, human beings don't have to struggle hard to gather and hunt all they do is to take rifles and, and go out into the open plains and they shoot an animal. Or you can simply go to the store and you buy you a chicken or whatever it is. Blood is not hard to find. That is why human beings and animals like to eat blood because it's not hard to find. In Revelation 17, we have a woman presented to us who also likes to eat blood for food. We, we read about her in verse number six, uh, when John says, And I saw the woman, check this, drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. Uh, this woman is drunk with the blood of the saints and the martyrs of Jesus. Uh, this, this woman has consumed for food the blood of the saints of Jesus. She is drunk with blood. Uh, the language is not literal. The language is symbolic, and that is the nature of Revelation. And as you read Revelation, it induces in us the labor of understanding. Uh, revelation brings us into the labor room of understanding. We have to sweat hard to understand its meaning. And that's how you will need to, to approach the book of Revelation. If you want to understand it, you have to sweat, you have to labor. And, and if you're interested for the month of November and December, I'm going to be doing a course on Revelation. 
And I'm going to try to teach you how to go into this book and understand its meaning and its essence. The, the language, again, is symbolic, drunk with blood, because the, the, the author wants us to think about what's happening. He's trying to create images in our hearts and in our minds to help us to see the situation. There is a woman, she's supposed to be calm. She's supposed to be nice. She's supposed to be lovely. She's supposed to be dandy and dainty. But this woman is not any of those things. She is drinking the blood of the saints of Jesus. She's drinking the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. She's a vicious, violent, vitriolic woman. She is after blood. What an image. And this image is supposed to create in us the tenseness of the situation. The author wants us to uh, relate to this situation. He, he wants us to, to see what's, what's going on. This woman has made life difficult for the believers of Jesus. This woman has made life excruciating for them, but they're still excited for Jesus. And that is why they are still willing to die. This woman has drunk their blood because these loyalists for Jesus have remained loyal to Jesus and therefore they have made it easy for her, watch this now, to find their blood and to consume it because we learned that it's easy to find blood because they have decided to be loyalists. They have decided to be uh, the committed they have decided to be these people that ride or die with Jesus. They have made themselves easy prey for this woman to, to drink their blood. And I just want to drop this for you. When you decide to be a loyalist for Jesus, when you decide to be the committed for Jesus, when you decide to be a ride or die person for Jesus, you make yourself easy prey for your drunk, for your blood to be drunk by those who are enemies of Jesus. But the beautiful thing is that these people that have been easy prey for Jesus, they're experiencing excruciating pain, but they're still excited for Jesus. And that is the key. We must learn how to be excited for Jesus, even though it is excruciating. It may be excruciating at the office, but we still need to know how to be excited for Jesus. It may be excruciating at home, but we need to know how to be excited for Jesus. I don't know if there's somebody listening to me today who is still excited for Jesus, though the devil has been beating you down, though life has been difficult for you, though you do not see how tomorrow you're going to work, how tomorrow you're going to walk, how tomorrow you're still going to be a worth a person of worth. I know there is somebody here who know who feels the excruciating pain of a heartbreak, a, a loss of a child who knows the excruciating pain of betrayal. There is somebody here listening to me who is going through something painful and excruciating, but yet you're still excited for Jesus. And I want to praise the name of God for you. And I want to let you know, keep on keeping on being excited, though it is excruciating for you. This woman has made life excruciating, but these people are still excited for Jesus. Uh, you, you know what she has done? This woman has persecuted them. 
Persecution, persecution, what is that? According to one scholar I, I came across, he defined persecution like this. Persecution is the violation of anyone's property or physical person because of a victim's identification with a religious group. Put it differently, persecution comes to you when somebody does not agree with your beliefs or your values. And they find those beliefs and values annoying to them because somehow your beliefs and values do not allow, allow them, so they think, to exercise their values and beliefs as well. When you decide to live your life for Jesus Christ, when you decide to do the right thing, when you decide to get things in order in your life, allow me to let you know that you're going to face persecution. Paul would say it in 2 Timothy 2 verse 13 or 3 verse 12, excuse me. Those who live a godly life will suffer persecution. And if you are going through a difficult situation right now, because you are faithful to God, because you are doing the right thing, because you are being committed to him, understand that is simply a part of the game of the life of a believer. Understand that is what you're going to be facing all of the time in which you are committed to Jesus Christ. That is a part of the game and that's a good thing. Now, now John offers us context of this woman who is drunk with the blood of the saints to help us to understand what is happening because personally, he is also being targeted by this woman drunk with the blood of the saints. She has failed to drink his blood. So what she has done is exiled him to the island of Patmos. The island of Patmos looks like a seahorse about 50 kilometers away from Turkey. And so Paul or John, he is a pastor who has been leading people in several churches, the church of Ephesus, the church of Smyrna, the church of Pergamum, the church of Laodicea, the church of Sardis, the church of Philadelphia. He has been a faithful pastor. He has been allowing these brothers and sisters to be committed to Jesus Christ by his pastoral ministry. He's been taking care of them. He's been visiting them. He's been letting them know, hey, listen, the Romans are after us. They're making it difficult for us, but let us stay focused on Jesus. This is a part of the game, everybody. Let's stay committed. And because of John's pastoral ministry, the emperor Domitian, who is now ruling the empire of Rome at this time, which is about AD 80 or 81. He is in power. He has heard of John and he's angry at John and he has sent John packing to the island of Patmos and he has made him a stone quarrier, somebody who is digging up stones and, and, and enriching the, 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 the empire and he's trying to break his spirit. Do you know that some people will put you through situations because they have power and all they want to do is to break your spirit. All they want to do is to break your values. All they want to make you do is to break your beliefs. And John is in a situation like that. He's been exiled. Life is excruciating, but he's still excited for Jesus Christ. And he is on this island and, 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 and he is here suffering and struggling. And he decides, though he is struggling, though 
though it is difficult, he decides to still remain excited for Jesus and he gives us the letter of revelation. But the, the woman, the, the person who is trying to drink his blood, he identifies that as the Roman Empire under the Caesars like Domitian and, and Nero and Trajan. These emperors who were so, so egotistical, they were not comfortable in their own skin. Why? Because they hated the Christians because the Christians had their own emperor. The Christians had their own Caesar. Jesus Christ and they will not kiss the ring of Caesar they will not kiss the ring of Domitian they will not kiss the ring of, of Nero they will not kiss the ring of Trajan and I want to praise God for anybody who will not kiss the ring of no human king or no human power because they have an emperor in Jesus they have a Caesar in Jesus they have a king of kings in Jesus. I want to praise God for anybody like that because the truth of the matter is there is only one king. There is only one Lord. There is only one Caesar. There is only one president and that is Jesus Christ. And we should never give our loyalty. We should never be committed to anyone else other than Jesus Christ. If we are going to be committed to anybody or to anything or to anyone, it should be after we have been committed to Jesus Christ. And so John is on the island of Patmos excruciating pain but he's still excited for Jesus because it is he is his king and so this woman being represented by the Roman Empire is persecuting John in fact John helps us to understand that this woman who is drunk with the blood of the saints is the Roman Empire because he identifies her in verse number 9 of chapter 17, he says, and here is the mind of wisdom. He says, for somebody to understand the identity of this person, they need to apply wisdom. They need to think, right? Here is the mind of wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And this is a, an established fact. Rome is a city of seven hills. Hill number one, Palatine Hill. Hill number two, Capitoline Hill, Hill number two, Quirino Hill, Hill number three, Vimino Hill, Hill number four, Hill number five, Esquin Hill, Hill number six, Calian Hill, Hill number seven, Aventine Hill. This is an established fact. And so when Paul is speaking about the woman who is drunk with blood, he's talking about the Roman Empire with the Caesars. And we know, historically speaking, Rome built itself as the greatest empire the world has ever known. But it is under the Romans that Jesus is crucified at the hands of Pontius Pilate. It is under the Romans that Jerusalem in AD 70 is leveled to the ground and the temple is left an ash heap. It is under the Romans that Paul dies. And so here what we have is that, is that, is that John is helping us to see that they are these weak people standing up to the powerful mighty empire called Rome. And they are not willing to bend the knee they're not willing to kiss the ring. And because of that, their blood is being drunk upon because they're being killed. They're being thrown into prison. 
They're being put in a difficult situation because of their faithfulness and their loyalty to Jesus. And it's a good thing to be persecuted when you are good. It's a good thing to suffer when you know you are good. Jesus didn't die because he was good. He was bad. Jesus died because he was good. And I want you to understand that sometimes in your life, you will suffer because you are good. You will suffer because you take your work seriously. You will suffer because you make sure that you are faithful to the contract that you signed with your boss. You will suffer because you are faithful to your wife. You are faithful to your husband. You will suffer because you are a tax, a taxpayer. You will suffer because you want to stick to the rules of driving on the road. I want you to understand that sometimes we are going to go through situations that are hard or difficult, not because we are bad, but because we are good. And if you are going through struggle or challenge right now, because you don't know, you don't understand why it is. I want to say that part of that is because you are still, you, you simply want to be faithful and committed to God and keep on going. The struggle should not, uh, should not, should not, should not, should not sting you, should not choke you, should not stop you, but rather it should mobilize you. You and I should be able to say, you know what? I praise God that I am a worthy sufferer. I am worthy to suffer in the person, in the sufferings of Jesus. I'm worthy to suffer with him. And we should be praising God for the struggle that comes because we are good. And this is why this situation is happening in our text today. This woman is drunk with blood because some people would not let go of their goodness. But the truth of the matter is that can be an, a discouraging place to be when you're suffering because you are good. It can be, it can be, it can be strong, it can be damaging, it can be devastating, it can be victimizing. But I came to tell anybody today who is in a struggle for good to, to help you to know that keep on going, my sister and my brother. God has not left you. In fact, it's an indication that God is by your side. Remember, God never said it would be easy. Remember, God never said it would be breezy. God simply said, I will be with you no matter what. God simply said that I will be with you as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. God simply said, they are more with you than are against you. God simply said, there is no death or life or, or persecution or famine or sword that shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. God simply said, I'll be with you until the end of the age. God simply said, I will be with you as you go to Egypt and as you're being thrown into prison, as you are being put in a, in, a, in a tough spot, I will be with you. But if you allow me to be with you, then I can elevate you to the place in which you need to be. You may be prime minister. 
You may be a manager. You may be a leader. You may be wealthy. But understand that in your struggle, I'm there. I never leave you alone. In fact, if I did not leave you alone, you could not be able to make it through the struggle. And is there somebody listening to me today who feels like it's hard, it's difficult because you are good? My brother and my sister, listen to me today. Keep on moving on because God is by your side. He is not going to let you go. He will stick with you no matter what happens. And this is why John is helping us to see, though some people may drink our blood, though they may take from us our very life, they may suck stuff from us, but God has not left us down. He will not leave us down. So, so you see, John gets an invitation from an angel to see what will be the end of this woman drunk with blood. Check this out. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual morality, and the wine of whose sexual moralities dwellers on earth have become drunk. So John is able to see the, the other side of this woman. He sees her as a prostitute. That's also her character. She's a loose woman. She's not a faithful woman. She's a liar. She's a cheat. She has left her true love. Now, now in, in the Bible, when you come across language like this, somebody unfaithful, spiritually, I mean, sexually unfaithful or sexually immoral. This is language that this person was once churchy and religious, but they're no longer like that. So if you're perceptive, this woman is not only simply referring to the Roman Empire, but it's referring to somebody else who is churchy and, and spiritual. And if you will track with me in the course that I'm going to be doing beginning next week, I'm going to help you to see who this woman really is, and you're going to have a better understanding of her. But for now, I'm just going to drop that. She is churchy before. She is spiritual before, but now she is no longer that person. Rather than committing herself to God, she has turned on those who believe in God. And right here, John wants us to know that God has a legal case against her. She has a court case before God because of her behavior. Uh, a couple years ago, 10, 15 years to be exact, me and my friends had this little joke that we were doing. We'd ask somebody a question, and once we have asked them a question, and if they don't answer us, we slap them. So I found a little kid... And we were in an open place where it was at a, an event, a sporting event, different groups. And we were in the lunch line. And so this kid is next to me. And I turned around to the kid and I posed the kid the question. He got the wrong answer. And then I slapped him. And man, like immediately his father ran across the room and he stepped out to me. He says, yo, why are you hitting my son? I've never been so scared in my life. I was literally like 14 at the time. I've never been so scared in my life. And I said, you know what, sir? I, I'm sorry. Me and my friends are doing a joke. And and that's kind of why I slapped him because he got it wrong. He says, that's a bad joke. You shouldn't, be, you shouldn't be slapping my son. And this is what I want you to see. John is trying to help us to see 
when he's invited to see the end of this woman, he's trying to help us to see that nothing happens to us, to those of us who believe in God, and God doesn't stand up for us. This woman has been drinking the blood of his saints, the blood of his martyrs. So God says, you know what? It's time for me to judge her. And that is why the text says, and one of the angels invited me, says, I will show you the judgment of a great prostitute. This is God saying, I don't allow my people to get slapped. I don't allow them to get smacked around. I mean, do nothing about it. I don't sit idly by and watch them suffer without me taking care of the situation. I make sure that they pay for it. I make sure that they get what they're supposed to get. I make sure that they know who I am. I make sure that they understand that my people are mine and I'm going to stand up for them. And I want you to understand that for anybody who's been giving you a hard time, anybody who's been drinking your blood, taking something from them, from you, there is a day of reckoning coming by God. A day of reckoning is coming. God is going to handle the situation. Here is something I need somebody to understand. Where you sit determines what you see. Are you following what I'm saying? If you are at the stadium and you're sitting at courtside, what you are seeing is courtside, you're going to be seeing the players. But if you're sitting at the nosebleeds, you're going to be able to see those people below you. You're going to be able to see those people at courtside and you're going to be able to sit to see those people playing. So your you, where you sit determines where what you see. John was sitting on the island of Patmos. He was sitting on the island of Patmos, but in order for him to see the end of this woman, God had to take him to another location because where you sit determines what you see. Notice in Revelation chapter 17, verse 3, and he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness and I saw, and he carried me away from the island of Patmos to the wilderness. He took me to another location. And when I went to another location, I was able to see, allow me to help you to understand, it is in the wilderness that God will give a revelation of himself to you. It is in the wilderness that Hagar sees the outcome of her son Ishmael, that this Ishmael, God has heard his name means, God has heard her cries, God has heard her struggle. She sees that God is gonna make him a great nation and and, and, and he becomes this nation called, uh, he becomes this, this, this great nation called the Ishmaelites and the Ishmaelites are the ones who actually buy Joseph. But it took her, to go into the wilderness to see this. The Israelites are able to see God can provide for us manna and he can give us his constitution called the Ten Commandments, but all that happens in the wilderness. You see, in the wilderness is a place of revelation. It's when you go to the wilderness, whatever that is, whatever that looks like, that God is able to reveal himself to you. Many of us, are in the city of our lives. Many of us are living in apartments of our lives. Many of us are living in nice suburbia in our lives. But sometimes God has to say, I'm going to take you to the wilderness in order for you to be able to see exactly what is going to happen to the situation that you're struggling with. And some of us will need to go to the wilderness today. Some of us will need to go through that wilderness of having no money 
for us to see who God really is so that we can trust him more. Some of us will need to go through a heartbreak to see who God really is for us. And that is that it's not good. That is for, for God to reveal himself to us that even if people are not there for you, even if you don't have anybody who cares for you, I will be there for you. And some of us are going through a wilderness. Some of us are going through a painful situation. We don't know how we're going to make it. Some of us have lost something very dear. Some of us feel the pain of losing a child. Some of us feel the pain of losing our influence. Some of us feel the pain of having having nothing to do. But I want you to understand that it's through that situation that you're going to be able to see God better. And so God had to carry John from the island of Patmos into the wilderness, but he did it in the spirit. Oh, let me tell you right here, my brother and my sister, he was carried into the wilderness by the spirit, just like Jesus was carried by the spirit into the wilderness. You cannot see in the wilderness unless the spirit is leading you. You cannot see in the wilderness unless the spirit is guiding you, unless the spirit is directing you. The spirit will need to be the person who is leading you there so that you can truly see what you need to see. And so when John is in the wilderness, he's finally able to see the woman for who she really is. Now, 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 now check this. John sees this woman drunk with blood in a very interesting way. John sees what the woman sits on. John sees what the woman wears. John sees what she's holding. John sees her name tag. John sees what she has done. Notice verse 3 to verse 6. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery. Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. John sees where the woman sits, what the woman wears, what she holds, what she's called, and what she eats. And all of this shook him up. It shook him up. It scared him. Have you ever seen something? Have you ever seen someone? And then it makes you afraid? When I see dogs, I'm afraid. <laughs> it makes me shook. You feel me? You, you feel me? John sees this woman and he is shook. He's afraid. This is what he says at the end of verse 6. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. You see, to marvel is to be, um, to be impressed or disturbed. We are impressed. We marvel when we see a man run 42 kilometers in one hour and 59 minutes. But we are disturbed when that same man will kill his wife because of PTSD. 
John is impressed by this woman because she's holding a lot of power. She's dressed in costly apparel, but he's disturbed when he sees her drink the blood of the saints. He, he's, he's, he's afraid because he sees a woman that is a blood alcoholic. Because he finally can see what he's up against. He sees that this woman is no ordinary foe. She's no ordinary woman. She has power. She has strength. She has energy. And I and my people in Ephesus and Pergamum and, and Philadelphia and the people I'm pastoring as Christians, we got no power against her. All the power is in her. She has all the strength and all the ability. Doesn't it feel like that sometimes? You see what you're up against and it's so difficult. You see that you have to face chemo. You are at stage four cancer and it's so painful. It's so difficult and you are shook and you're scared because you look like a grasshopper in front of a giant because all you see is a Goliath. Somebody today, all they see is a Goliath when they look at their problems, when they see their situation, when they really look at it, they say, oh my goodness, I am up against something hard, something difficult. How am I going to get through this? How am I going to survive? Notice what the text says. When I saw her, I marveled. When I saw her, I was disturbed. It's not just any ordinary Greek word that is used in this text. The text uses a Greek word. John chooses a word to help us to relate to him. The text uses a word that means to fix your gaze on something. To fix your gaze on something. That is to look at it. To stay locked on it. And not to move on it. And, and that's the point John is trying to help us to see. I am fixed on my issue. I am fixed on my problem. I'm fixated on it. Therefore I'm scared. Notice that the issue. That the objective of the angel. He wanted John to see this woman drunk with blood. For him to see what our final outcome is going to be. But John does not see this. All he sees is a woman who is powerful, who is vicious, who is vitriolic, who is violent. All he sees is that and he is afraid because he, he's fixated on his problems. And some of us are fixated on our problems. And therefore all we see is defeat. We are fixated on our problems and all we see is debt. We are fixated on our problems and all we see is death. We are fixated on our problems and all we see is loneliness. We are fixated on our problems and all we see is demotion and demotion and demotion. We are fixated on our problems and all we see is people we can't count on. John is fixated on his problems and he is shook. When you're fixated on your problems, all you do is become shook. So the angel had to help John snap out of it. Watch this. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? Why do you marvel? Why are you shook? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast 
with the seven heads and ten horns that carries her. John, I want you to see something that you don't see about this woman. When you look on her outward appearance, you are shook and that's all right. When you look at your situation, you're shook and that's all right. But let me tell you the mystery. Let me tell you what you do not see about her. And right here is what you and I need to understand that our problems have a mystery that we need to unlock. Our problems have a situation that we haven't seen that we need to see. And the moment we see that, we now begin to understand exactly what is going to happen to our situation and our problems. You see, right here is a beautiful thing because when you study Revelation, when you study Daniel, God gives us a vision of the end. And what the angel was trying to help John to see is a vision of the end. He's trying to help John to see this woman who is drunk with blood, her story is finished. It's already going to be ended. And John is shook, but he's not supposed to be shook because the reality is God does not give us a revelation to shake us up. God gives us a revelation to strengthen us. Can I drop that one more time? God doesn't give us a revelation to shake us up. God gives us a revelation to strengthen us. God wasn't trying to make John shook and God is not trying to make you shook when he shows you the situation in your life, when he reveals to you what is really happening. In fact, when we see a vision of the future, when we read biblical prophecy, when we see the Bible telling us exactly what is going to be happening, we should not be afraid. We should be happy. We should not be sad. We should be glad. We should not be, we should not be moaning. We should be rejoicing. And fortunately, some of us, when we look at biblical prophecy, when we look at what God has to say is going to happen at the end, we are shook instead of being strengthened. But God's vision and God's objective is never to shake us or simply to scare us. God wants to strengthen us. And I'm happy about that this morning. And that's what you and I need to appreciate about this vision that the angel gives John. He says, look, do not marvel at this woman. Do not be shook about this woman. Let me tell you who she really is. Don't be shook. And somebody today needs to be unshaken over your struggle, unshaken over your situation because God knows the mystery. He knows how to unlock what is, is troubling you. He knows the key to that cancer. He knows the key to that debt. He knows that key, the key to your health problems. He knows the key to your relationship, right? He has the mystery figured out. And if you will trust him to show you exactly how it can be revealed, then you don't need to be shook. You need to be strengthened. So, 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 so John is given the mystery. And when you read uh, verse, uh, verse number eight, all the way to about verse 13, basically John tells, John is told by the angel that this woman is going to bring together a coalition of the beast, which is Roman emperors in the historical understanding of this text, and then through a coalition of other kingdoms. And the woman and the beast and other kings are going to come together in a, coal, in a coalition to attack God. Notice what John says in verse 14. He's giving him the vision. He's unlocking it right here. They will make war with the lamb. The woman who is drunk with blood 
and the beast and all their coalition will make war with the lamb. Hmm. Notice what happens. The lamb will conquer them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Notice that the woman will try to attack the lamb and the lamb will overcome them. The lamb will conquer them. The lamb will beat them. He will defeat them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. Here is a contrast. I hope you can see. The woman is drunk with blood and she's killing the martyrs of Jesus and she's even attacking the lamb himself. She is doing violent things, but the lamb who has also shed his blood, he hasn't drunk blood, who has shed his blood will conquer the one who is drinking blood in order to help those who believe in his blood. The lamb, the lamb is gentle but powerful. The woman is supposed to be gentle, but she is vicious, but she is defeated. But the lamb, the lamb is victorious by shedding his blood for his saints, by shedding his blood for his martyrs. John put it nicely, the next day, he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, and said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away <laughs> the sin of the world, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, because he did not drink blood, he shed his blood. Allow me to let you know, victory, you live in victory when you tap into the shed blood of the lamb. He did not drink blood. He shed his blood. He did not take, he gave. The woman is taking and she wants to take, but Jesus gave, he gave and he gave so that he could give us the victory. And when you and I connect to the blood of the lamb, we now live from victory. Can I drop that one more time? When you and I connect to the lamb, we live from victory. We fight from victory because the game has already been won. The movie has already been played out. The script has been revealed because of the victory of the Lamb. Notice Revelation 12 verse 11 puts it clearly. And they, that is you and I, overcame him, overcame it by the blood of the Lamb. It is in the blood of the lamb that we overcome it. Whatever it is in your life, you're going to be able to overcome it. When you have the blood of the lamb, you're going to overcome your cancer when you have the blood 
of the Lamb. You're going to overcome your marital problems when you have the blood of the Lamb. You're going to overcome your financial problems when you have the blood of the Lamb. Whatever it is in your life, whatever area you need victory in today, you are going to overcome in that area by the blood of the Lamb. Can I say that one more time? By the blood of the Lamb, because the blood of the Lamb is given to you to help you, not to hurt you. Notice what the text says, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Because when you've overcome by the blood of the Lamb, all you have is a testimony to talk about how good he is, to talk about how powerful he is, to talk about how he has brought you from a desperate place to a, a, a blissful place, to talk about how God has took you out and put you in a situation that is so much, much better. And no, God knows that I'm speaking to somebody who before Jesus came into your life, you were in tatters, you were totaled, and you were truncated by the situations in your life. But since Jesus has entered your life, you now know what it means to live a life of of, of, of purity. You now know what it means to, to get away from drugs. You now know what it means to take care of your money. You now know what it means to take care of your health because the blood of the lamb washed you. It took away your sins. It took away your shame. It took away your sorrow. It took away your sadness and it made you a different person. And now you live your life with the testimony of somebody who has been tested but by delivered by Jesus. You now talk about a mess in a message because of the blood of Jesus. You now talk about strength in a storm that you were in, but Jesus took you out of the storm. You now live your life in a totally different way because of the blood of the lamb. And you have a testimony because of the blood of the lamb. And they, the text says, overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved their lives not unto death. They no longer live their life just normally. They now live their life from a different place. They live a life of victory. They live a life of overcoming because of the blood of the Lamb. You are not going to be victorious unless of you have the blood of the Lamb. In fact, I'll suggest to you that you need to drink the blood of of the lamb in John 6 53 55 Jesus talking very verily I say unto you except you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you have no life in you whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day for my flesh is meat indeed and my blood is drink indeed. Brother and sister, drinking the blood is not about this woman. It's about you and I tapping into Jesus and having him revolutionize our lives. Are you ready to be drunk with blood, the blood of Jesus? Are you ready to take it in? Because if you don't drink the blood, you have no life in you. If you don't drink the blood, you are missing the whole point of what it means to be a Christian and you can never ever live a life of victory unless you are drunk with blood. Is here anybody today 
who says, I want to be drunk with blood, the blood of the Lamb. I want the blood of the Lamb in my life. I want it to course through my veins. I want the blood of, of the Lamb to move me and to transport me. I want the blood of the Lamb. And perhaps we can end it like this. The blood will never lose its power. Listen to me, my brother, my sister. It will never lose its power. The blood that Jesus shed for me, says Andre Crouch, way back on Calvary, that blood gives me strength from day to day. It will never lose its power. It reaches to the highest mountain. It flows to the lowest valley. The blood that gives me strength from day to day, it will never lose power. Are you ready to be drunk with blood? And if you are, Get ready to live life from victory. I'm going to let you know what drinking the blood is all about next week. C come back. But today, I'm inviting you to drink the blood. And you can simply do that by saying, Lord Jesus, I accept you into my life. I claim you for what you have done for me on the cross. I believe it. Not because of what I am. I believe it because of who you are. Every head is bowed. Every set of eyes is closed as we pray. Father God, thank you for this moment. We are truly, truly, truly grateful. Because had it not been for you, we would have been lost. And thank you for the invitation to be drunk with blood. And Lord, we want to do that today. Thank you. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Did that word speak to you at a visceral level and you want to respond? Well, today you can do that. The number is on the screen at our JCC hotline number. Reach out to us and we'd be more than happy to help you to start a journey with God. And if the Lord has impressed your mind to contribute and to give, Please do that as well on the number on the screen. And I want you to know that whatever you give will help us to continue to talk about the love of Jesus and to help somebody get closer to him. May God bless you and look over you. I'm going to see you real soon. Take care.